Hey everyone, I'm Alan Schimmel and welcome to CISO Talk. CISO Talk's a bi-weekly or every other week show where we talk about relevant topics to CISOs, wannabe CISOs and security managers about the current state of affairs in cybersecurity. My co-host for this is Matthew Newfield. Matt is uh, CISO and I, I think CIO at Unisys, recently CIO as well. Hey Matt, welcome, thanks for having you here. Thank you. And Matt and I are joined, of course, by our third cohort, uh, Mitchell Ashley, who is CEO of Accelerated Strategies Group, as well as CTO and CISO of Media Ops. Mitchell, great to have you on. Boy, the, the more letters after your name, the better, I guess, today. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I try to keep it nil. But... Um, but I'm not one of the cool kids. So joining joining our, our Matt and Mitchell and, and myself is our guests for this week. And let me introduce you to them. First of all, I'm going to introduce Karen Moore. And Karen, if, I think you might be on mute. But if you want to come off mute and introduce yourself, that would be great. Karen Moore, okay. I'm the Chief, Chief Compliance and Privacy Officer at Unisys. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Karen. And then um, we have the man with the blue dots there, Joel Fulton. Joel, introduce yourself. Alan, thanks for uh, having me. Matthew, thanks for hosting. My name is Joel Fulton, and I am recently the co-founder of an asset visibility company, Prior. I was the CISO at Splunk and have worked at other places, small startups, Google, Boeing, Starbucks. Excellent. Thanks, Joel. And then last but not least, we have Christina. And Christina, I don't want to mess up your last name, but it's Christina Goldion. How do you pronounce it? it that's close. Thanks. It's uh, Christine Goliath. Goliath. Okay. Um, I'm a uh, senior program manager at um, Sony and most importantly, uh, president-elect for women in technology organization. So I Fantastic, and thank you for that. That's uh, We need more people getting involved in leadership there and making it happen, so, so good for you. So, guys, today's topic is workforce or new trends in workforce cybersecurity. And, and certainly this past year was a year for the record books, especially as it relates to workforce cybersecurity. At one time, workforce cybersecurity was, you know, walking around cubes, making sure people didn't leave their computers on and uh, educating them on phishing. So we're still educating them on phishing. I don't know how much good it does, but workforce cybersecurity has taken on a whole, a whole nother thing here. And uh, it's a challenge. Matt, I'm going to let you kick it off if you'd like. And, and. You know, as we spoke about off-camera, guys, jump in. Just give Matt a chance to finish. And, and then we'll jump in. Go ahead, Matt. So it, I think this is a very exciting topic. And I, I think having everybody from uh, someone who, former CISO, um, who has built an asset management company to a privacy and compliance officer, especially if you think global entities, 
Um, to Christine, who has a tremendous amount of experience, not only in the cybersecurity, but in running these large programs, and again, being the president-elect of, of Women in Technology, can help have the conversation of what the world is coming to when it comes to basically working from home. You know, we used to say that in 2019 to 2020, we were saying last year that we took so many employees no matter what they did from what could be considered secure environments to the most hostile networks on the planet, and that's people's homes, right? And and what do we do now? And what are the implications of this move from home? And it can be everything from technology, you know, the fact that you can see a little TV behind me. Do, do people know how to patch televisions? Do they know how to patch the router that some random individual came into their house at some point in a four-hour window to do, all the way to how does this impact people? You know, we talk about women in technology. We, we talk about people in technology that are now stuck in their houses, having to wear different hats. You know, am I running out of my office on a daily basis or an hourly basis to help my children in their schooling to having to do other things, what are the risks are there? I think this is a very expansive topic. So, you know, again, as Alan said, normally we will just go, hey, Billy, hey, Bobby, hey, Susie, you know, what do you think of this? But to open it up, I'd love to get this this team's thoughts and who would like to start? Joel, I will pass it to you to start. Matthew, I like the fact that you touched on the non-technical aspect of this because, frankly, I thought that might be overlooked. I don't know if anybody knows someone personally who have just been in heaven this past year working from home. Uh, I think that distraction and ennui are some of the greatest risks to security. I never have a technical problem. I always have a people problem. Complementing that, I never have a technical solution. The solution is always <laughs> the way people behave and act. And I think that uh, letting our guard slip there um, is going to be the biggest Achilles heel we'll find we have. You know, it's interesting. You and I will get along very well. I, I'm a, before getting into technology, I wanted to be a psychologist until I realized I don't like listening to people complain. It's, it's quite annoying. And those that know me would... Uh, say, yes, I understand that. But I agree with you. It's, you know, when you, you think about the risks that um, I get called on to help, you know, talk to organizations about, you know, one of the more interesting one is, so I have all of my employees that worked in a call center, for example, they're now all working from home. I've noticed my metrics on customer satisfaction have tanked. Everybody's initial perception was, oh, it's because people are mean or they're jerks and they don't like hearing the dog or the child or the radio. But where it really comes is, is it actually your employee that's doing the work, right? Are they violating a rule? Do they know the rules? Do they have training? Alan talked about training. Um, do they have a way to sign off? Do you have a compliance problem, Karen? Do you have a family problem? Um, and you have to focus there. Otherwise, you do what I did to my oldest child years ago and try to put a ton of technical controls in the house thinking ah, i'm gonna make it so he can't do this and two days later i'd walk by his desk and he's doing that and i'm like what i stopped you from doing that he goes nah no you didn't no you didn't i learned that lesson a long time ago but guys let me let me just let me call the emperor out for not wearing clothes 
There's an awful lot of hypocrisy going on. Because while we're talking about, oh my goodness, working from home, I have to learn how to use Zoom better, and I got to deal with the dog, the cat, the kids, the noise, the gardener, the this, the that. You know, what, a, oh, oh, what was me, what was me, what a terrible thing. Well, do you want to work from home or go back to the office? Oh, don't be silly. I want to work from home. Right? The fact of the matter is, is that surveys show the overwhelming majority of us want to continue working from home for an overwhelming majority of our time. So we could give lip service to how bad it is working from home, but we like it a hell of a lot more than working from the office. And, and so if that is going to be the new normal, deal with it. Deal with it. People are going to complain, but it's our job. To, to make this as, as secure and compliant as possible and as productive as possible. Yeah, right? and, and I'd, People I'd like still to, complain. to unpack okay. a couple of the things that Matt said and, and something that Joel said about it being a people problem and maybe starting more um, helicopter because one of the sticky notes I have on my desk in terms of work from home challenges is um, the two populations, the, the new hires, how to get them to drink the Kool-Aid. So if we've got a lot of security concerns, how do I get them to buy into that when they've just joined the company sitting in their kitchen? And the other one is the out of sight, out of mind population, which is the people who say, yeah, this is great. I'm working from home. I'm in my PJs. You know, I'll take my computer into bed with me and just, you know, never get up. Um, and, and so it just starting from that kind of people perspective, we already start on the back foot in terms of challenges on the security front. Then you can do that deeper dive into what kind of controls do I have? What kind of process do I have? And Matt keeps telling me all these things about my server and how things are entering my house that I have no understanding. And I would add, it's not just work from home because it's work from wherever. I mean, Colorado is about to get two feet of snow. I would like to head out to Denver and start working from, from Vail. You know, it's... Better um, hurry. <laughs> <laughs> it's not, it's well, not just a how there. do I secure Mitchell's the... Mitchell's in Denver. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's not just yeah, a how yeah. do I secure my home environment, right? It's how do I secure people who are now pretty much mobile to, to wherever they want to be. Yeah, I want to build on what you're saying, Karen, because we sort of play this whack-a-mole game in security, right? Oh, we have smartphones. Oh, let's secure them. Oh, we have uh, tab tablets. Oh, we have work at home. Oh, we have routers at home. You know, the, the real thing that's happened over the last year is that people have still been mobile, I have many friends who said, I'm going to travel to Florida to go spend some time with my parents, my brother and sister. I'm going to go to, you know, D.C. or go wherever. People have been mobile and not been just working at home. So I think the, the right way to think about this is let's forget about where people are. Let's think about how people are working, how they're getting their work done in the tool. Yeah capabilities that we give them because they could be at Starbucks tomorrow. They could be at their parents, could be back home, could be in the office all in the same week. It doesn't matter where they are, maybe unless they're in China or something, but the, pretty much the location shouldn't be the issue. That's my view. Right. And I, so from my perspective, you, you said it correctly where it's now, um, it's kind of now the convenience factor. If you don't want to, you're, you want to work from home because there's no more, and some of you are in the Northern Virginia area, there's no more 495, 66, 395 traffic. Hallelujah. And then, 
and then you get to work from home or you can do simple tasks here and there. But at the same time, from a security perspective, it's do you want the convenience of just, you know, like you said, going to Starbucks, but how secure is that Starbucks network? Um, and then when you bring that device home. So it's like a catch-22. And that, I think that has always been a debate. Is it going to be more convenient to you or do you want more security? There can be a happy medium. One of the things we try to do on this show is to, to give people advice to think through, right? It's not just the issues. And, and there has to be there has to be a happy medium. We're all working from home. We've been working from home for a year, many of us, um, and home, let's just, let me change that. Many of us have not gone into an office on a regular basis in a year, right? We're working from wherever we work. For some of us, we traveled so much in the past, I spent more time working from a plane um, than I did from the office anyway. But, you know, as we've expanded that, those people that are used to it, we have tools and techniques in our, our, our kits, right? And that tool may be our brain, Joel. It, it may be, uh, you know, I don't connect to a Starbucks. You know, I have a, my own little MiFi kind of thing, or, you know, we have those kinds of, of tricks of the trade. But I think the bigger question when it comes to this is, and, and um, Alan, you were saying this, you know, it's not the woe is me from the employee. It's the woe is me from the corporation, you know, yeah. as a CISO, as a CIO, as a CEO of an organization, what are you doing? What should they be doing to help enable their workforce to work remotely without introducing significant risk? Because they're going to introduce risk. Let's be blunt. I mean, it's going to happen. So there's some there's some trends that that happen. The industry kind of followed a, a relatively uh, foreseeable curve. So in the beginning, it was two weeks and we're good. And so everybody shifted to home. And the consequences of that shift was one to three percent of my workforce typically work remote. I know I've got sales, I've got field engineers, but my system developers and my DevOps and my IT team and my accountants and my GNA and everybody, they come in. So that shifted an enormous burden onto typically VPN concentrators. Now, if you're doing it in a way that keeps them secure at home, you're not using what's called a split tunnel, which means from my computer, I can't access my network printer at home and the corporate environment. But that also means that the corporate environment becomes my ISP. Now all of my internet egress goes through them. Well, we can't afford that, so we gotta choose. And so right around Easter, people had to pick, do we bump up our pipes? Do we bump up our VPN licenses? Or do we find a way to shift things to the cloud and use some SSL-based, zero trust-ish access directly to applications? If you made that choice, then everybody accessing your Jira or your GitHub or your AWS accounts or Azure, now their local machine is at risk because it's a local machine and I'm connecting like I would to an app. If you made the other choice, which is far more expensive to capture that endpoint and continue to be the ISP, now your costs go up. So Christine put up the, the, uh, the perfect balance that we're all accustomed to, security versus convenience. And now we've added a third scale on here, which is cost, not just immediate, but long-term and the maintenance of that cost. 
And let me just also, you know, put the, the privacy lens to through which you need to view this. The more we're into that kind of cloud environment and relying on GitHub and the, the risk of exposure of personal data just geometrically increases. So how are we making sure people are educated about that? And, and I know that the privacy component is just a smaller component of data leakage generally, but still. No, we're, oh. we're, we're married to each other because what, <laughs> <We> happens, <are. laughs> right, what happens when I forget to use my corporate creds and I use my personal creds in GitHub mm -hmm. and now I've exfilled source code out and it spreads. So, so there's no disambiguation between yeah. what you and I do. I'll throw one on top just to, to pile on for Karen here. When you think about privacy, it's also as a CISO, I have a laptop or a desktop that I've sent a home employee you know, they're sitting at home. What can I and can I not scan on that home machine, right? What am I able to see? What if I accidentally and think of certain GDPR countries when I run my scanners, you have split tunneling? Because let's be honest, Joel, most companies with the split tunneling route, not not only the circuits were too expensive, but the infrastructure can't handle that. Or you've made a situation where you are kicking your employees off the VPN every two hours to ensure they're not accidentally going and doing the Netflix route, you know, and that kind of stuff. So what happens if I accidentally scan and my SIM now has, you know, all of the other machines in your home and let's go even worse. And I see something in that that alerts that I shouldn't have seen in the first place. Yeah. I mean, look, in my mind, guys, this isn't a problem that actually started with COVID and working from home the last year. This this thing first reared its head when it was BY, bring your own device, BYOD, right? That was the first kind of gunshot or the first battle in this in this war. And, you know, and the, and the security industry responded with some novel approaches, right? We had bifurcated phones. How many of you remember bifurcated phones and stuff like that, and bifurcated devices? Matt, I think the, the case of if I sent you home a machine, I have every right to scan it is fine. What about if I didn't send you home the machine you're working on and it's your daughter's machine or, or something? What then? What then? But yet you're doing work on it. I have to be able to, I, I got to know. I got to know that it's, it's somewhat secure, that it's something, right? You know, that's, that's an even more remote situation. This is fraught with legal uh, overstepping. Let's be honest. I, I, I think you, you saw Christine's face twitch. I, Joel came immediately <laughs> off mute. Did, did, did you just say there are companies out there that are potentially allowing them to use their personal machines to do work? And it's like, the problem is you're right, Alan. It, it not only happens, but it's happening a lot. You yeah. just got the acronym wrong. The BYOD, the D stands for disaster. It's bring your own disaster. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, we always, so in security, we always did that. But, you know, that didn't, we, we were like the man in Tiananmen Square. That didn't stop the tank from running over us, though. People are using their own devices. Get over it. I have to tell you, my daughter can do a lot more and knows a lot more cool tricks on her computer than on mine. And it's the temptation to go to her and say, hey, can you just work this up for me and then just send it to me is, is huge. And at least I know better. But, um, you know. Christine, I think that risk is big. 
I'd love to get your thoughts because you and I have discussed this in the past about how do you educate? You know, what are your thoughts on education? Because I'm a big believer in you. You can't you can't teach people, right? I, I and I say this, and people always raise you know roll their eyes, but I don't think people change until they're on the precipice of destruction. Hard stop. I can't. I can't train you not to fall for fish until one day you fell for a fish and you almost got fired. You did get fired. Someone stole all the money out of your checking account, blah, 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 blah. Your identity stolen. Then all of a sudden someone changes. But prior to that, it's, it's always that it's not me. I'd love to get your thoughts, you know, especially where you and I first met back in the true secure days on, on education, because to Karen's point, that's a big deal. I mean, are you telling people, what they can and cannot do with their personal machines or their corporate machines. Yeah, well, I've been lucky enough, uh, post True Secure, that was a small startup, but I've been lucky enough that after that, it's always been a big corporation. And we've always had all, I'm doing one now, actually, all the training that you have to do um, to check the mark box for compliance. And it's pretty repetitive. Um, so now they also do a lot of um, testing. So um, mock phishing attempts that you report and then you get a reward if you report it. Um, I know that my sister, she's also in tech, big company. She clicked on a free Dunkin' Donuts gift certificate and it was indeed um, phishing. It was a test, but it was phishing. So um, it, what's been good to me has been the repetitive motions. And you can give so many trainings for them to watch. Um, but like you said, unless they get slapped in the hand that first time, then you can reactively in that mode, just kind of react and uh, improve it. But yeah, I don't know what else besides, um, and, and you see all these movies now that have, uh, even all the shows that I watch, they have a reference to cybersecurity. I think that's where NCIS Cyber, the two episodes that ran, um, that's where it came from. So uh, I think it's just much more prevalent now. I think it's good that a lot of people are on social media and there, there are a lot of um, news now that they talk about um, the different hacks that are occurring. But unless you're really pushing it and it's in a repetitive motion, it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, and I'll throw it out. And Joel, I think you'll probably want to discuss this, but let's be honest, ransomware is on the rise. It's it, it, We always say this, but I mean, we could start listing off companies that have gotten hit publicly in the last two weeks. And it's shocking to to yeah. see it's shocking to see they got hit. It's shocking to see the damage that was done, especially with some of the new laws in the United States where paying for the retrieval of the appropriate keys to, to de-encrypt could put you in hot water with the federal government. Um, you know, it's it's on the rise in a big way. And how does it all come in? It comes in fishing. Yep. And while you can't stop it, right? You can't stop, again, someone from clicking the link. We can put technical controls in play. But, Christine, to your point, and I think to everybody else's point, it's around, for me, putting yourself in a defensible position. I've always said if I want to be in a position where if I got called in front of some news agency and they say, this bad thing happened, what did you do to prevent it? I love to be able to say, I did all of these things. This is what we do as a corporation. I cannot stop a car accident. Never going to happen. And I've said this on the show quite a few times. If you ask me to make it so we never get into a car accident, you know, I quit. It, it, it's not possible. Um, and, and Joel is a former CISO, especially of some large 
corporations and now this you know ceo founder thoughts on that do you agree disagree have any revelations uh, i had a personal revelation when you talked about learning change typically comes only at the point of pain i was responsible for a team and it was a, a company that prided itself on security we were a security vendor and so we rolled out phishing early. And as you know, when you roll out phishing testing, you kind of turn the dial up. So it goes from obvious to subtle, right? So the first emails go out on their fixed space font, dear occupant, things are misspelled. 87% of my team clicked the link. And so we did uh, what we called the five-year-old after action report. And if you have a five-year-old, or if you've ever been five-year-old, you know that five-year-olds ask why at least five times. So why did you click the link? Well, I mean, the, the computer's backed up. All right, so why is that okay? Well, there's a there's a uh, like an app, Apple store and I can just take the laptop there and they'll fix it. All right, so why is that okay? Well, because next door, uh, we got a coffee shop that turns into a pub at three o'clock. So either way, I'm good to go. Okay, so why is that okay? Well, they said like in the end, someone's got my back, right? And it opened my mind because I realized it isn't training. They knew, they knew it was apathy. They didn't care. And so now as ransomware and business email compromise and spear phishing, as these are starting to proliferate, that first thing we talked about, and that is having everybody be your defense in depth, your airbag, your seatbelt, your A-pillar, your crumple zone, having people fill that role, it, surprised me that it didn't start with giving them information. It started with enticing their heart to give them the motivation. That's right. And, and I'll, I'll expand on that. One of the things that we like to do here is explain how phishing impacts your personal life. And in our training, in our testing, we try to make things very personal so that, you know, we all work for well, some of us work for very large public companies and people are like, man, they've got plenty of money. Eh, you know, what's their worst case scenario? They could get fired, right? I'll go find another job. I hear that all the time. It's the why. Well, if something bad happened, it's my fault. I I'll leave and I'll go to that company or I'll go to that company and, you know, I'll get that job before you can cause me any problems. I hear that kind of nonsense all the time. So then we say, okay, computer behind you that's sitting over there, you click on a fish from your personal email account, it takes the money out of your checking account. Is that, is that a problem to you? <laughs> okay. Do you, do you like Bobby and Susie you work with? If you double click that and they lose their jobs, does that bother you? Is that, and these kinds of things we have to do and to tie well it back to why we're all here, we're at home and it is not uncommon for me to slide my chair to my personal computer and check my email and slide back over to my work computer and we have blurred these. A lot of us blocked our personal email, personal activities when we were in the office. Can't do that now. I mean, Christine, you said it, right? We, we get the opportunity to go do fun little things while we're here. If you get a 10 minute break and you're in a corporate office, you may use it to take a quick break or, or get out of your office or stretch. Here, you may go do laundry. You may go something personal play, you know, I, I talk to people like, oh, I had 30 minute break. I went and played some video games and sure, but we're blending these two together and that apathy rolling over could be really, really detrimental to companies. Do you Wonder, think I want to, oh, go ahead. No, go, go ahead. No, no, Christine, go ahead. I, I had a question and I wanted to bring it up to this forum of many experts here. Um, 
Do you think with what you said, it, there's going to be a rise in the investment for in incident response? Um, not anymore trying to defend it, but really trying to address something that happened. I'll give you my personal perspective on it, Christine. It's a great question. Um, I think the the age of prevention is dead, long live response. That's been my mantra for quite a while. Bad things happen, accidents happen, stuff happens. But where I think people are going to start investing in hunting, for example, incident responders, especially with all of the indicators of compromise that are now available and companies' realization that just because you have an individual with this CISO title and a couple of firewall admins, making them responsible for doing an in-depth investigation around some very complex IOCs when most people, you know, even a lot of people that may watch this show, they understand I said indicator of compromise. They don't know what that is and they don't know what to do with it. And they don't know how to investigate. That's going to happen. But it's the training and comms piece that's going to become even bigger and I think even more foundationally important. Um, I would add also, to Matt, to that, the, the training, but also the practice, the rehearsal. So there's muscle memory on that incident response. Um, there's just not time to learn on the go. Well, and, and I think, think about the we're talking about a sort of a psychological shift, right? We're, we've lived in a world where if we get compromised, it's, oh, it's bad. Then we have to go meet with the CEO, with the board, with the, with, we're in trouble. By the way, uh, not to bring this up for you, Matt, but, you know, we now have Microsoft who's how many? 30,000 is actually a lot more. Uh, exchange service compromised. If you remember the movie Platoon from long ago, sort of like the enemy is is far past the 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 wire. I mean, they are they are under the wire and into the camp. And I think your point about incident response is spot on. I mean, it, it it's a it's more of a keeping the embers down in many cases because it's going to happen. And instead of dealing with the psychological embarrassment of something happen. It's happening to everybody, and it will happen even more so unless you flip your mindset from one of embarrassment to one of action and proaction so that you're taking as much as you can proactive measures to deal with these things. It's going to happen, uh, especially when we have nation states going after major software vendors. It just is a fact of life. Christine, we put our bet on the fact the industry is going to wish to stop driving their cars with blinders on. So if incident response is car insurance and it's your ability to react quickly and pump the brakes, if prevention is good, good driving and good mechanical repair, we think people are driving around with blinders on. And so you can't see that accident as it's coming your way. But I bet incident response will change. Right now, it is absolutely a sock. But you've got a sock at home. All these vulnerabilities we're talking about are now exposed to the core of your ability to respond. I think how incident response functions will change and will become federated instead of centralized. And it has yeah. become federated. Those organizations that have been successful with dealing with IR situations over the past year have fully federated environments and don't rely on the the very typical, and, and Joel, you'll remember these, the war rooms where everybody went down into the, the room and the monitors came on and the, the lights started flashing and the doors sealed and, you know, barking, or all that's gone, right? And you know, we have to utilize these kinds of technologies to be able to run these 
these incidents. And, you know, again, it, it still flips back to the point, and you all have said it, but it we do need to flip the entire script when it comes to cyber, especially now that we have all this work from home. Joel's probably dealt with this before as well. Nobody wanted to talk about events in our corporations. And very rarely did we say the word breach. Very rarely did we even say the word incident. It was an event. It's just an event. Relax. It's an event. We got it. The event's under control because they didn't want to go public with that information. And, you know, it. what we have seen and what I'm hoping the industry is learning, especially over the, so let's say since 2017, is those organizations that have taken events that have happened in their environment seriously um, and reacted appropriately. Think of a certain organization in December who came out publicly very quickly. Think about a certain shipping company in 2017 who got just decimated but came out publicly. Recover quickly. The employee sat goes through the roof. Those are organizations people want to work for as compared to those corporations who come out publicly and go, I don't know what you're talking about. That didn't happen to us. Uh, we'll get back to you at some point in the future. Oh, uh, yeah, we lost it. We lost a million records. Oh, no, we lost 300,000 <laughs> records. Oh, we lost 1.3 million. Oh, it's 12 million? Ah, whoops, what are we going to do? Right, and and this is going to be important, but it all comes back down to this new mentality if we're talking about our, our workforce and it, building that mindset. It's for everybody. From the newest employees, Karen said, the newest person, all the way to the person who's been here the longest, we have to to help change their mindsets. And you have to make it personal, in my opinion. And, and I want to add, um, keep beating the privacy drum. Um, you know, one of the messages I um, keep delivering uh, the same same way as, as you do, Matt, you know, to flip the narrative is we are not going to be 100% compliant with this increasingly complex web of privacy regulation. But the one thing that we cannot afford to be um, blind to is the breach notification. The, the notification term periods are really short in every piece of omnibus legislation that we've seen coming out. And if we can't identify that, we can't quantify it, we can't be transparent about it, we can't react to it, we're really in trouble simply just in that kind of privacy slice of, of data, um, exposing the company to a lot of fines and reputational damage. So here, here's the thing though too, look, I, again, taking a long view, I've seen our industry move from a posture of, you know, prevention at all costs to response being where it is, right? And, and I, I think we still have more to go. I think we, we have to get to a place where companies are judged by not whether or not they were breached, because they were silly enough to use a Microsoft Exchange server, let's say, right? Um, to how they responded to the breach, right? And, and that, that's where it's at. But I think what we need to be careful of is that that pendulum doesn't swing too far. And we say, oh, you know what, prevention's a waste of time. Let's put it all on response. There, there needs to be a balance. There needs, like everything else in security, you need layers, you need depth. You need to do what's reasonable and good for prevention understanding that that may not be good enough and we need response right and 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 that's where it's at 
just so we're clear, I don't mean get rid of all your firewalls and you don't need any of that kind of stuff. Oh, I would get rid of them. Don't, don't worry about patching. <laughs> my, point, it, my point is your point, which is it, you can't – we're not eggs, right? You can't believe that you've surrounded yourself in this impenetrable – you know, shell or, you know, force field and don't worry about it because all the bad guys are outside of the organization. That's why the response, you have to be able to quickly, you know, and again, if you've been in this field, those watching will know meantime to detect, meantime to respond, your meantime to detect a problem can't be almost a year. It it, it can't be or longer. It's got to be seconds or minutes at most. And to do that, you have got to focus your very hard resources and, and small resources to that response because if you don't see it, you can't do anything about it. So I know we're getting short on time, and one of the things we like to ask on this, especially to our panelists, is, you know, again, those golden nuggets, those things that we can have people do. If So what advice would you give? If we were sitting down and I hired Karen, Christine, Joel, we hired you to say, help us fix this problem around our workforce, you know, what advice would you give? I would suggest that you get volunteers representative of each of the major functions and areas and have them be on a rotating basis, a member of a security risk assessment. They see things that the centralized team can't see and if I can speak up for it, then it's easier than if you have to catch me at it. Well, you know, I, I gotta tell you everybody in, in DevOps, what we actually do is we don't use Vault for the keys. We've got this other login and we should really fix that. And I know it's like, you'll hear those things. Um, so that ability to ollie, ollie, all in free, this is something we're doing wrong, fix it. You get it when you get uh, the people involved. And then very slowly, those become your cheerleaders. And as you rotate around, you can grow a population that are fed and watered. Security champions. As your security champions, as your defense in depth. That would be my one takeaway. Love it. Excellent. Christine, how about you? Yeah, well, my very first firewall rule that I ever learned was um, default deny. So <laughs> I would just say, just, you know, if you get an email and it, it looks really weird, default deny it. Um, if, if it was a real email, they will email you back or they'll call you, they'll text you. Um, but I always say default deny. I do it on my phone all the time. I don't answer anything. So default Agreed. deny. Can I, can I change my answer? All right. Joel wants your answer too, Christine. We'll let him have it. Um, Karen, how about you? Um, well, I'm gonna I'm gonna add to Joel's um, advice and say that you want to take some of the people that got it wrong, um, that got caught on a phishing, got caught with some sort of you know leakage or other incident, um, and turn them into your evangelists because they're the ones that are gonna buy into it the most if you haven't fired them already. Um, so get them on board. And then the other thing I think is, you know, the constant contact with people, especially if they're working from home, um, on a really practical level. Here are things I want you to do. Here are things I don't want you to do. And also, I'm going to be realistic about what I'm asking you to do and not do, because most of us don't have a clue. So an educated consumer is our best customer. Um, Actually, real quick. Sims used to say. 
Uh, well, the other piece that she's saying, and I, I agree with that, some of your the the people who've had the accident are could be some of your best drivers if we're using that driver analogy. Oh no, absolutely. It, and it's a cultural it's thing too. Got bit. Yeah, and and you know, being able to show an organization that you know, having someone stand up and, and I'm going to go into a weird spot for 10 seconds, but you always hear the people who come out and give those motivational executive speeches or the someone who had a drug problem, you know, fell to the bottom yep. of the barrel and picked themselves up there. That's very powerful. Even in our world, I did click that link. I caused this damage. I did these things because of, as Joel said, my apathy, as Christine said, my lack of a default in my mindset. Look at me now. Don't don't make my mistake. It's simple. Let me show you my three step. Pro Something of that nature, I think, could be very powerful in an organization. Um, and that's the you know, for me, my advice back to anybody in this field is you got to make it personal. As Joel said at the beginning of this, as Christine's brought up, you got to make it personal. You got to focus on people's privacy and, you know, what impacts them, as Karen has talked about. But you can't ignore it and you can't fix this through tech ever. Mitchell, I'm going to give you the last word. Thank you, Alan. You know, to build on our conversation, I like the make it personal. I'm going to take that one step further. How we really learn is through story. That's, that is the most powerful way of communicating. You mentioned the, the kind of following at the bottom of the well. There's, when you say phishing, that seems rather sterile. I think to people of, okay, I don't click on bad links. Why? I mean, so what's, what's the impact? And I know the, the few times when I've been able to share either a personal story or let's talk about what's happened and, you know, why this is such an issue for the company. There are ways of telling the story of what this means and can mean to us personally, as well as to us as, as a company. There's also uh, the value of learning from that. And I think just because of the vast quantity of how many, how many attacks and breaches and everything that we see every day, it's almost noise and we kind of all overlook it and move past it to, to an earlier point about, yeah, it's another event, right? There's learning in all of those things and we have to find the ones that we can help both ourselves learn and our organizations learn. Excellent. Guys, I think we're going to end it there. What a great CISO talk. Christine, Karen, Joel, thanks for being our guest. Matt and Mitchell, as always, thank you. This is Alan Schimmel from MediaOps, Security Boulevard, DevOps.com. Thanks for joining us here on CISO Talk. We'll be back in two weeks with another great topic and fantastic cast, and we'll see you then. Until then, be safe, be well, bye-bye.